Welcome to Above Halfline. This is episode 134. Let's talk Netflix. Hi, Neil. It's good to be back. Netflix seems unstoppable. The company is adding approximately 2 million paying subscribers per month. On a year-over-year basis, it's 25 million people. We're about the size of Hulu. From a momentum point of view, the Netflix machine seems to be doing great. The company is adding subscribers, taking that additional cash flow, putting it into original content. The company is projected to spend about $10 billion on content each year, and that number continues to grow. At the same time, we have companies like Apple, Disney, AT&T, telegraphing to the world that they are going to enter the video streaming market in a very big way. In my opinion, I think we are going to see a very interesting stretch in paid video streaming. And I think one development that we're going to see is that many of the prevailing assumptions about the paid video streaming industry will end up being proven wrong. Netflix isn't invincible. In today's episode, we are going to discuss why I think calls suggesting Netflix has won the paid video streaming war are grossly premature. We will also go over my current stance on paid video streaming and how new players, including Disney and Apple, can impact this industry. In fact, I think the paid video streaming industry is looking increasingly attractive for new players with significant financial resources. The best place to begin is to talk about Netflix. I don't think we should hide the fact that Netflix is an amazing company. It's a growth story that has lasted for years. It's easy to see why Netflix has been a Wall Street darling. Years and years of sustained paid subscriber growth in an intriguing new market. Now, yes, over the years, there have been a few disappointing earnings reports. In fact, the most recent earnings report for Netflix second quarter 2018 results were a disappointment for many people. And this has led to some investor jitters, I guess you could say. However, there's no denying that Wall Street has rewarded Netflix for its growth over the years. Up to a few weeks ago, Netflix market cap was roughly equal to that of Disney. Let that sink in for a moment. According to the marketplace, Netflix had the growth potential. It had the business model for success. It had the relationship with the consumer that would over time become increasingly valuable. Meanwhile, Disney, it's fair to say, had become more of a legacy content company, almost like a dinosaur, trying to find its way forward. Over at AboveAvalon.com, in this week's article, Netflix Isn't Invincible, I have a number of exhibits that go over some Netflix data. And so if you're interested in that, definitely take a look. The first exhibit is pretty straightforward, but it ends up being so powerful. It graphs the number of Netflix paid subscribers over time, going back to 2011. And the thing that's interesting is you can clearly see how the international segment is now fueling Netflix growth. 
there definitely seems to be some penetration issues going on in the domestic segment. And in Exhibit 2, I looked at the data in a little bit of a different way. I just graphed the year-over-year growth in the number of paid Netflix subscribers. This is on an absolute basis. It's on an all-time high. So in the second quarter of 2018, on a year-over-year basis, Netflix grew the number of paying subscribers by 25 million people. That's roughly equal to the number of Hulu users. Netflix now has close to 125 million paying subscribers. If you look at overall subscribers, maybe people on free trials or, or certain promotions, the number is a few million above that. The company's momentum seems unbeatable. And I think this growth story has fueled the Apple and Netflix M&A chatter over the years. People have seen Netflix business, have seen how they've been able to connect with users. And then they've concluded, well, Apple should buy them. Apple can somehow benefit from all of that growth. Apple can turn this into something interesting. Now, we've discussed in the past why I think the Apple and Netflix M&A rumors don't make sense. Apple does not need to acquire Netflix. We won't go over that in today's episode because I more or less do want to talk about Netflix's business model, what I think is a marvelous feedback loop as long as it continues, and more of the competitive landscape, which includes Apple. So what is driving Netflix growth. Why are they so successful? I think there's three primary reasons. The first, original video content. Netflix's decision to bet on original content has been a game changer. It has helped to maintain the user momentum from the early 2010s. So you have shows like House of Cards, Stranger Things, these shows have single-handedly helped boost Netflix paid subscriber tally. In this episode, I'm going to position Stranger Things as the poster child of Netflix's original video content strategy, just because I don't think there's been too many other Netflix series that have been as powerful as Stranger Things. Last year, right around this time, we had season two of Stranger Things launch. If you went on Twitter or Facebook, People were going crazy over this show. It, there was nothing like it. It's Game of Thrones taken to a whole nother level. And I think when you look at companies like Disney, Apple, AT&T, Amazon, the list goes on. I guess you could even say Walmart now, given, <laughs> given some recent news. These companies look at something like Stranger Things as that is the goal. If you can get a Stranger Things, or maybe even a second series like Stranger if you could get two Stranger Things, you are golden. You, you are set. So that's why I think we're going to talk about Stranger Things, because I do think there's actually a downside to all of this, which we'll get to very shortly. So the first factor explaining Netflix momentum over the years, it's the original video content. The second factor, low pricing. Compared to the price of a large cable bundle, 
Netflix's low monthly subscription pricing is viewed as attractive by consumers. My Comcast bill, this is the large cable bundle, it's about $65, $70 per month. Netflix is a fraction of that. Netflix is also running with low pricing options in their national markets. Now, yes, Netflix is subsidizing these prices, which we'll talk about shortly. But again, the low pricing has been a factor in explaining Netflix's strong momentum. The third factor, which I think is very important, the superior user experience. We could go into this in a lot of detail, but I'll just sum it up as saying, consumers want to decide when to watch their favorite shows instead of being told when to tune in. Netflix's business model is ultimately dependent on the number of hours subscribers spend watching Netflix content. So as long as you're watching an increasing amount of content, the Netflix model works marvelously. Strong paid subscriber and engagement trends give management the green light to spend an increasing amount on original content. And what does that original content do? It contributes to additional user and engagement momentum. We have a positive feedback loop. So you start with the original content. It attracts paying subscribers. You use that additional content to also grow engagement. All of that leads to cash flow. Higher monthly pricing, additional engagement, more people watching the content. What do you do with that cash flow? Put it back into the business in terms of original content. And you're right back at the start. Let that loop continue. This is the Netflix machine. Let that machine go and you're going to get great results. And I think that's exactly what's been going on for the past couple of years. When you tune into Netflix's quarterly conference calls for earnings, competition has been a recurring theme. And management has been very careful in crafting this cautious tone about competition, although the takeaway has been consistent. Instead of spending time worrying about the competition, Netflix remains focused on coming up with a better user experience. The aim here isn't to deny that Netflix faces competition. Management is not trying to weave that narrative. Instead, management is trying to make the claim that Netflix doesn't look at the competition to figure out what to do next. In terms of Netflix competitors, up to now, I think the company has faced two primary competitors, Legacy Cable and Our Time. Netflix is a media company. They're selling a video bundle to consumers. Along those lines, the company has seen much success in going up against the traditional cable bundle. Why? Innovation surrounding distribution. The way we consume video is undergoing a sea change. Netflix has been able to ride the wave while legacy video struggles to stay afloat. I looked at the number of ESPN subscribers over time. 
I think it's a good proxy for the health of the large cable bundle. The trends, not pretty, but not a disaster. The number of ESPN subscribers is down about 11% from the peak. Now, given how a growing number of these slimmed-down cable bundles include ESPN, the large cable bundle has likely experienced even steeper declines. So you're looking somewhere between 10 and 20%. I think that's a fair estimate. The thing is, Netflix's fight against our time has been the more intriguing competitive battle. Netflix's success is directly related to the amount of time users spend on the platform. That's a very important thing to keep in mind. The more Netflix videos consumed, the brighter Netflix's prospects look. Well, think about our daily schedule. We have a finite amount of time each day. So what does that mean? Netflix ends up competing against our everyday task in order to grab our time and attention. This battle has placed Netflix up against work, chores, errands, sleep, other forms of entertainment. It's the battle for our time, not Amazon, YouTube. It's the battle for our time that has proven to be Netflix's most formidable competitor to date. It may seem like Netflix already has quite the nuanced battle on its hands going up against the clock, but I think competition will only intensify. Up to now, Netflix has been running away with the ball with little to no competitive response from other paid video streaming players. Think about the list. Think about the largest paid video streaming players in the market today, other than Netflix. The list isn't long. Amazon, HBO, Hulu. You have some slimmed down cable bundles, but I think those are a little bit different since you're just kind of repackaging the big bundle. Out of that list, who has the most mind share? Netflix. It's not even close. But I think things are about to change in a big way. We haven't even seen a genuine battle yet in the paid video streaming space. Three notable competitors are about to enter the scene. First, Disney. Disney's existing intellectual property portfolio, combined with the assets acquired from 21st Century Fox, positioned Disney as a formidable force in a direct-to-consumer paid video streaming space. Based on management commentary, the company plans to focus on three video bundles. You would have a Disney-branded bundle, focus on family-friendly content. This would include a lot of the popular brands that you're familiar with in terms of Disney. Then there would be a Hulu bundle, and that would contain content that maybe isn't as family-friendly. And then you have ESPN+. Plus. It is not a question of if Disney will succeed over the long run, but rather how aggressive Disney will be out of the gate in terms of grabbing paying subscribers. The next competitor, Apple. The new kid on the block. 
We are seeing what it looks like for Apple to go all in on developing its own video streaming service. And we've talked about this from time to time over the past year or so. There are still questions surrounding Apple's video strategy, although we are starting to get more clues as time goes on. The stream of reports regarding all of these new shows and movies that Apple is signing on to does show Apple's building a decent size, at least a dozen shows, portfolio out of the gate. Now, while that may not be enough to launch a paid video streaming service from day one, I think it's pretty clear over time the goal is to have a bundle that people would pay for. The third competitor, AT&T, Time Warner. After buying Time Warner for $85 billion, AT&T has a strong incentive to leverage its crown jewel, HBO, to gain a stronger footing in the direct-to-consumer paid video streaming landscape. We just have news out recently that essentially AT&T is going to throw in a lot of Time Warner intellectual property and then position HBO as sort of that crown jewel, that superior brand in a way, almost anchoring it. AT&T also seems interested in tinkering with HBO's strategy that had been valuing quality over quantity. Such a strategy is now being questioned more because when you look at Netflix, that's a company that's been chasing both quality and quantity at the same time. I think the three preceding companies are going to unleash a brutal paid video streaming war over the next five years. You're going to have intense bidding wars for the best ideas and shows. Talent will become even more scarce if that was possible. Consumers will have more in the way of choice when it comes to watching high-quality shows. I think the battle will be so intense, even free video streaming players like YouTube will likely be pulled into the mix. The significant momentum found with the paid video space is a direct threat to ad-based video models. So I think Google may feel pressure to wade even further into the paid video streaming space. And there will likely be competitors beyond these three, beyond just Disney, Apple, and AT&T. However, those three companies are at the top of the list in terms of having the financial resources to wage a vicious war. At this point, some of you may be thinking, Okay, I'm with you so far. Netflix is doing great. You're going to have new players with deep pockets about to enter this space. But why is Netflix going to hit a roadblock? Why is new competition necessarily mean that Netflix is going to stumble? So at this point, it's worth going over a couple of things that I see with Netflix that concern me. You can call them problems, you can call them risk factors, but they're items that give me pause in thinking that the Netflix machine is just going to continue operating just fine going forward. Netflix's grip on the paid video stream market, I don't think it's as strong as it may appear. The company's competitive advantages in the marketplace are being oversold. And I've come up with four problems. The first is that Netflix's video catalog is underwhelming. Aside from the one to two dozen original hit shows, 
Netflix's broader content portfolio isn't compelling. Much of the legacy content is stale. A surprising number of original movies feel off, as if they are low budget, despite having household stars. It's rare for me to watch a movie and then at the end kind of scratch my head and go, what, what did I just watch? That's becoming normal now for movies that I watch on Netflix. While Netflix's growing efforts of original shows may be enough to keep people as subscribers from month to month, I think much more is needed on the content front if Netflix wants to grow engagement. The second problem for Netflix, switching between video subscription services is easy. There had been this idea that Netflix was going to become the cable bundle, basically the video bundle. Consumers will stick with one video streaming platform, and that's it. I don't think that idea has been fully thought out. While a company like Netflix is incentivized to keep viewers on its own platform, attention is easily transferable to other video streaming services. We can look at Apple's TV app. It breaks down the barriers between video streaming services to the point of there not being any barriers at all. It is becoming common that I may go to the Netflix app on my Apple TV, but then end up watching YouTube, AMC, or another video bundle. You may have something like Amazon, who's trying to create essentially a video platform where subscriptions live within the Amazon video platform. Apple also looking to try to do something like that. The same principle applies. I don't necessarily think that people are just going to stick with one platform or one bundle. Instead, they're going to look for other places to find content. Simply put, I don't think all of these players are going to play nice together. I don't think they're all going to say, okay, let's all jump into Amazon and have a nice video platform. They're not going to say, let's jump in with Apple's TV app. And I think that's, in some ways, a realization that there is a problem here in terms of consumers being able to easily transfer between apps, between bundles. The third problem for Netflix, their technology advantage is misrepresented. As Netflix's chief content officer recently said, gut represents around 70% of the equation when it comes to Netflix determining what makes great content. There has been this narrative that Netflix is a technology company masquerading as a media company. That's a stretch. Netflix is a media company. They must continue to come up with popular hit shows. It doesn't mean that they lack a technology confidence that maybe legacy dinosaurs are missing. Instead, one will end up in a very bad place from an analysis point of view 
if they forget what really decides, what really determines Netflix success. And that's having great content. The fourth problem facing Netflix is that they're subsidizing subscriptions. And I think that ends up helping the competition. So you have management subsidizing paid memberships in order to grab as many users as possible. An unintended consequence of this practice is that Netflix ends up leveling the playing field for competitors. They're devaluing paid video content. So by keeping pricing artificially low, Netflix makes it that much easier for new competitors to enter the market with pricing that really isn't that far off from Netflix, despite not having anywhere near the amount of content. Disney has telegraphed that it will likely price its family-oriented video bundle at about $5 per month. That's not that much lower than Netflix. And all of that, despite Disney probably having a content portfolio that would be a fraction of the size of Netflix's. Taking a step back from Netflix in order to look at the overall paid video streaming industry. Paid video streaming does not have the characteristics of a winner-take-all industry. No one company will have a monopoly on good, compelling video content. And so as we said a couple minutes ago, I don't think Netflix is going to become, quote-unquote, the new cable bundle. Instead, it's likely that consumers will subscribe to multiple paid video streaming services. We may very well see a handful of video streaming services have more than 100 million paying subscribers around the world. This is where those significant financial resources found with companies like Disney, Apple, Amazon, AT&T, Google, that matters. Up to now, there have been two primary business models in the paid video streaming space. You have direct subscription fees, so companies like Netflix, Hulu, and larger entertainment bundle fees, so a company like Amazon. The thing is, the two business models haven't been put to the test. Direct subscription fees continue to be subsidized in order for companies to grab users, so it's very obvious that Netflix will have to raise its subscription pricing in a big way especially if engagement hours plateau. Meanwhile, you have companies that may position video as merely one of a handful of services for users. Those companies don't need to turn a profit with video streaming. For example, by bundling video into Prime, Amazon doesn't have to worry about video streaming pricing. Ultimately, this dynamic will pressure companies dependent on direct subscription fees, like Netflix. The thing is, we haven't seen what the video streaming industry will look like with another major player bundling video as part of a larger entertainment package. I do think Apple is moving down that path. The company is expected to offer a comprehensive entertainment package containing music, video, news, maybe even cloud storage. It's not that all of that entertainment would be found in one single app, but instead, in terms of billing, one subscription opens up so much in terms of paid content. That is the, sort of the way I'm thinking about it. With Netflix being on my mind for a while and an increasing amount of attention being put on paid video streaming, one subject that I've debated including in this discussion, has been music streaming. 
and I went back and forth about this. Is there something found with music streaming that can add value to a discussion about paid video streaming? And my conclusion is that there is something to learn from music streaming. In fact, I think paid music streaming provides a sneak peek of what may unfold in the paid video streaming industry. In some ways, the music streaming industry is a few years ahead of video streaming in terms of having genuine competition. Now, when talking about music streaming and comparing it to video streaming, it is essential to point out the key differences between music and video streaming. With music, the same content is available on multiple paid streaming platforms. So you get the same songs on Spotify and Apple Music. This has resulted in streaming companies positioning music discovery and the listening experience as the primary forms of differentiation. And what is a new development, hardware, is now being positioned as a differentiator with things like standalone stationary speakers, wearables. These are products that are increasingly playing a role in how consumers pick between music streaming services. Differentiation, when it comes to video streaming, is different. It's found with content. For example, Stranger Things is available only on Netflix, and it will likely remain so for the foreseeable future. This is why companies are spending so much on content. Netflix is reportedly spending close to $10 billion per year on original content. Amazon is spending near $5 billion per year. By the way, I still think they have to spend more. Recall what we were talking about in terms of the content portfolio really not being that compelling. However, there are similarities between music streaming and video streaming, and I think it is these similarities that ultimately rise to the top. And that is where we can really get some clues as to what may happen in the paid video streaming market. Both music and video streaming began with a clear first mover. Spotify was the undisputed leader in paid music streaming, similar to how Netflix now holds that same title in the paid video streaming space. Why was that so important for Spotify? Why is this title of being a first mover so important for Netflix? The titles gave each company significant mindshare. And it's that mindshare that corresponded to strong early momentum in terms of grabbing new users. However, with a genuine competitor now in the music streaming market going up against Spotify, of course, I'm talking about Apple Music, Spotify's mindshare has suffered. When you compare the growth and paid subscribers for Apple Music and Spotify, there are some interesting observations. I included all of that data in Exhibit 5 in the article over at AboveAvalon.com. Apple Music's new user growth is indeed accelerating. 
as time goes on. And what is likely a worrying development for Spotify, Apple Music is now said to have more paid users than Spotify in the U.S. Similar trends are unfolding in other developed markets. Spotify now has to share the stage with Apple for Mindshare. Spotify's stronghold appears to be in Brazil and emerging markets. Those are locations in which Apple's market penetration is low. So I don't think that dynamic gives Spotify that much confidence in long-term opportunity. Spotify is doing fine in locations that lack genuine paid music streaming competition. But once you have that mindshare battle taking place, they're not doing as good. Now, the thing is, with music streaming, the overall pie continues to grow. And so both Apple Music and Spotify can continue to grow the number of users over time. But I think the problem for a company like Spotify is found with engagement. And that's the same thing that I think is taking place in the paid video streaming market. Oh, sure. Netflix will be able to use original content like Stranger Things as a way to set itself apart from the competition. So there is a different dynamic at play versus Apple Music and Spotify in that battle. However, Netflix hasn't needed to share the paid video streaming stage with such household names as Disney and Apple. Netflix has been the bide-share leader up to now. That may change. Looking ahead, the number of paid subscribers is not the key variable to monitor with Netflix. The paid video streaming market faces a number of tailwinds when it comes to adding new users. So it is certainly possible that Netflix will continue to grow its subscriber count over time. Similar to music streaming, I think the overall video streaming pie will continue to grow. Instead, the Netflix item to watch is subscriber engagement. Netflix's business model is ultimately dependent on the number of hours subscribers spend watching Netflix content. So as we discussed early in the episode with Netflix's feedback loop, as long as users are consuming an increasing amount of content, the Netflix model works marvelously. Based on management's most recent commentary, viewing engagement hours are still up year over year, so that's a good thing. What will happen to Netflix engagement once Disney and Apple launch their own video bundles? This is why I think questions surrounding future competition are legitimate for Netflix. So even though consumers may very well end up subscribing to multiple video bundles, there's only so much time that can be split among each bundle. Time spent watching Disney or Apple content will be time not spent watching Netflix content. This produces a hole in Netflix's armor. Engagement. Any sign of plateauing engagement could lead to a domino effect as Netflix loses pricing power and the ability to run with higher content budgets. Any slowdown in new original content could then begin to impact new user trends, especially in international markets. But what does less content mean? It would lead to even lower engagement. 
that is not a cycle that Netflix wants to see take place. We will conclude today's discussion with a look at the big picture. Given how Netflix is viewed by many as unstoppable, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that consensus expectations remain muted for Disney and Apple in the paid video streaming space. This will likely end up being a mistake. Notice how publication after publication is hitting Apple's video efforts, casting doubt left and right. Meanwhile, no one is focusing on how the paid video streaming market is incredibly attractive for a company like Apple. The cynicism surrounding Apple Video brings back memories of the doubt facing Apple Music in its early years. We have Tim Cook and Eddie Q reportedly taking a very hands-on approach with Apple's video initiative. I think that highlights the service's importance to Apple. Video will end up being a key ingredient of an Apple entertainment bundle. At the same time, you have Apple continuing to want to be a content distributor. This is something that they've been for decades. So I don't think Apple is just building a video streaming service. They're building a Hollywood arm. Then you look at Disney. I think Disney has the strongest intellectual property out of any video player. And I don't think anyone's even close. The company's problem up to now has been found with distribution. Those problems are now being addressed. And yet, you don't see that really being discussed in the media. You don't see many people look at Disney as being that much of a force. I think that's a mistake. As for Netflix's future, management appears to be well aware of the risk found with being just a paid video streaming company. Going forward, I think Netflix management will focus on two items. Number one, acquire or build a strong portfolio of intellectual property. It would not be surprising to see Netflix embrace M&A. Up to now, the company has only acquired one company, Miller World. This is also why a show like Stranger Things is just so important to this discussion. Because Netflix is able to build its own intellectual property with a show like that, where it's, it's more than a show. It has become something larger. Netflix needs more of that going forward. The second thing I think Netflix management will focus on is expand beyond video content. Netflix reportedly considered buying a chain of movie theaters. Recent reports have Netflix moving into radio. These efforts are designed to move Netflix beyond being just a paid video streaming company. Instead, management is taking a look at how it can push the viewer experience forward. Disney and Apple don't have to go toe-to-toe with Netflix to do well in the video streaming space. Instead, each company is ultimately focused on grabbing viewer attention with compelling content. 
the ingredients are in place for both Disney and Apple to do very well in this space. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis found in this podcast episode and you want more of it throughout the week, I publish daily updates all about Apple. These daily updates revolve around Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings and financial estimates, and also my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, keynotes and events, and of course, the industries Apple plays in. So paid video streaming is a topic that we talk about from time to time in the daily updates. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. Each update covers three topics and is about 2,000 words long. The daily updates represent the cornerstone of above Avalon membership. In addition to receiving all of my exclusive analysis, above Avalon members also have access to my Apple earnings model containing financial projections, priority email access, there's a member forum, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. There's also an archive, so you can read daily updates previously sent to members. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. Everything you need to know about Above Avalon membership is available over at AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the membership page. I do have some sample daily updates that you can check out just to get a feel for what the average daily update looks like. There are also the most commonly asked questions and answers. And of course, you have sign-up forms, which make sign-up very easy. There are two membership options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.